Okay, as in go. Sorry, one second. Fork Tales, a podcast that feeds the food and beverage world. Oh, awesome. Tales is brought to you by Vigor, a branding and marketing agency for passion-driven, innovative restaurant, beverage, and hospitality brands. Learn more at VigorBranding.com. If you love what we're serving up, please give Forktails a five-star review on your podcast service of choice. Think of it as a tip for good service. Hey everyone, today I'm joined by my friend Gregory Nasser. He is the CEO of Born, which we will unpack. It's an amazing system. I'm so pumped about it. Um, but before we do that, Gregory, say hello and give a little backstory. Hey, what's up, Forktail Nation? Uh, so, Gregory Nasser, uh, out here in the Bay Area in California, 25 plus years in the restaurant hospitality business. I opened my first restaurant in 2006, early 2006 and uh, sold it uh, right before the recession in 2008. I went on to work with some phenomenal organizations uh, throughout the United States. And in 2019, uh, had my entrepreneurial juices going and hooked up with one of the senior engineers at LinkedIn. And we started uh, Born, a restaurant location intelligence company. Um, and just real excited about the work we've been doing. And thank you for having us on, Joseph. Of course. Yeah. And, and it's a fantastic system. Um, one that I've been enamored with. Uh, we've used it for some of our clients. I know some other agencies have used it for some of their clients. Um, and, and there's a lot of story to tell there. Um, but let's start at the, at the beginning a little bit here. So for those in the industry a while, we know that this industry is sure about food a little bit. But it starts with real estate. It is about location. And a bad location can absolutely destroy an otherwise fantastic concept. So what has been some of the, the challenges or the toughest things for restauranteurs when it comes to finding the right location in your experience? Yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's quite a few uh, different buckets here. Um, I think obviously starting with the actual premise, the availability of the premise, um, and then understanding within that what occupancy budget would look like given a projected revenue uh, and, and or lease expectation. Uh, usually we see a lot of restaurant closures just based on that one fact. And so having those things aligned is super important and you know relatively hard. Uh, the other the other item that we, we really want to understand um, and or we see a lot of trouble with is value. And how does and how do you know a guest or a neighborhood is going to value your concept as planned? And that value is a key word because people see value across cuisine and across check average uh, in different uh, ways in different markets across the United States. So values is really important. And then I think, you know, I think in finding locations, having confidence um, and not just confidence in your hu in your human intuition and, and really driving that decision making, but understanding how to meet intuition with data science and with patterns that are out there that you can take advantage of now because there's ways to obtain data that are going to help make good decisions for you. 
Yeah, it seems like, you know, I know the way that we have done things at Vigor. It's a lot of research. It's research yeah. intensive. And even when you're finished, you're sort of still... Um, you know, metaphorically speaking, it's a bit of a swan dive into the unknown. Like there is, you know, I, I think there's a entrepreneurial confidence that just comes with like, I believe, you know, but then there's also confidence that comes from knowledge. And we try to do that. We try to give that to our clients. Like you can be assured that there's been research, there's strategy, there's a reason. And in that is confidence that helps with innovation and things. Um, so let's talk about the born system, uh, from what I understand, there's, there's a couple systems at play. There is the um, ability to run a report on an existing address to understand what kind of concept could go there and do well. And then there is this fuller system, which I think is geared more towards um, multi-unit brands looking to grow, where it's essentially where should I take my brand and where will it thrive? Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. So, so we have two models, uh, both based in machine learning. And one of them, called the Born Report, looks at a singular address and wants to identify market feasibility and the probability of success for a given concept going into that address. What that report will do is it'll pull in uh, over 90 data points and it'll verify and or kick out an assumption based on the concept of choice in that particular address. So we can see with a high probability of certainty a concept that the consumer of that area will want. Um, and we can do that because we look at uh, uh, travel into the location, uh, specifically ending in POS transaction. So we understand the uh, spend and mobility uh, different to real estate metrics or classic demographics. While those are important, we are really looking at that traveler eating in restaurants or going to bars, anything food and beverage related. So that's the, the Born Report side. In the Born system, we have a model called Navigator. Navigator allows you to, if you're a multi-unit brand, scale throughout the country and it gives you insights and it'll pinpoint exactly locations you should look at for scaling. And then once you get that report or once you access that market, you can click on it and it'll identify that study area and give you everything you can imagine from psychographics to market planning to market research. It's a really in-depth look and an easier way to save time so you can focus on the important things of looking at where we should scale. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, that seems pretty powerful. And I, I know there's a couple of systems out there. Uh, we, we've had access to some of them. We've gotten a scene behind the scenes through other clients and everything. Um, what do you think is making the born the born system truly unique and different? Yeah, great, great question. I mean, I, so it's a combination. There, there's a proprietary uh, machine learning system. We have fantastic data aggregation. We, we've joined hands with some of the best companies nationally that, that really, you know, companies beforehand just didn't have the ability to look at. But our whole core function is based on restaurant data. We want to understand, dissect, and see patterns in the country 
that can help restaurateurs, can help people in food and beverage succeed. And so everything we bring in at its core is, is restaurant specific. So when we look at demographics and we look at residency terms and things like that, we don't look at the demographic of the area. We look at the demographic of the person actually spending money in a restaurant or bar. And we want to know the patterns of that person. Um, and so, it, you know, it's a really distinct approach in understanding how to access this powerful set of data that's out there uh, from, a, you know, from the consumer standpoint and from the business standpoint. Interesting. So <clears throat> taking a step back in, in your opinion, in your experience, what makes for a bad location? I know it's kind of a loaded question, but <laughs> it's probably yeah, a long list. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, you know, it depends on what type of restaurant you're talking about. If you are a destination restaurant, if you're a neighborhood restaurant, if you plan to have a drive-through, there are so many factors that go into the thought process. And like you said earlier, I mean, that the research and development of making a good decision on pulling a trigger on a lease to put a restaurant in that place is an in-depth process and it's painful. And there are a lot of different departments that have to come in hand uh, to coincide to make those decisions. Uh, but, but ultimately, you know, I think people look at white space, uh, they look at gap analysis, uh, they look at the amount of foot traffic, uh, they look at the amount of mobility and in, in which way a car may drive on or off access points. Uh, there, there are all kinds of factors that determine what a good versus bad location will be based on the type of restaurant that you're looking to open. Yeah, it's funny. I, I mean, in my experience, I've, I've heard many different kinds of growth strategies and scale strategies, and, and some I'll share, and I'll encourage you to chime in. Um, there is the um, proof by existence of another brand approach, let's call it that, meaning, hey, there's a you know, there's a Zaxby's here, so I know my concept will work too, and that's all I need to know. Um, there is the solely looking at traffic approach. So, like, you know, we worked with a brand uh, back in 2011, I want to say, and I think this is where my love hate relationship with commercial real estate agents really started to um, seed and blossom. And and I don't mean to throw shade, but the real estate agent that this person had uh, really just sold them on a couple of locations. And the one that they bought from, I think the bird's eye, it didn't look like it'd be a bad location. And, and the reason is, is it is at an intersection of two very busy roadways. Um, and so you could literally see the traffic and you could say, wow, lots of traffic. Now, what they didn't take into consideration, and uh, you know, I hate to put myself up on a hero level, but I, I did say this to them, <laughs> is the lack of commercial presence, um, meaning the only thing that was on those corners was retail. So no businesses, no offices. Residential was good enough, but not also kind of inaccessible. And then I think the big one was the roadways. Each of them had a cement island. And so for those that aren't putting that together, that means people can't turn left into your parking lot, which means you only get traffic that goes one way. Right. So how, how have you approached that in your work um, as a leader, like when you're looking for new locations or advising? And then, of course, how does Born start to unpack that? Yeah, there, I mean, there's 
quite a few different avenues with it. You know, one is we we work with one of the best urban planning companies out there um, when it comes to mobility. And, and so we look at all kinds of transportation from every angle. One of the things that we can see on a pattern level is the way people move. And that's where you can make critical decisions in knowing if somebody is going to turn right or turn left and how that will impact their mobility if you are to open something. Um, And so, you know, it is those patterns and that that machine learning growth that allows us to see with, with a high level of confidence the way people make decisions on how they travel through any given area. Um, you know, and I think within that, there is then the, okay, who is traveling in a short amount of time and who is taking longer trips? And what do those trips mean from a consumer standpoint? And when you can identify those, then you can start thinking about, okay, this is what the consumer wants versus maybe what we intuitive think, intuitively think they want or intuitively think a neighborhood needs. We really need to understand you know, how can a restaurant concept or how can a location be a benefit to the people in an area. And usually when you do that, you find yourself in a, in a, in a business that's going to thrive because people want it. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, you know, th- this particular location, I think it did well enough, but uh, inevitably another brand came in, you know, bought out the lease and everything as the person decided to step away from the industry. <laughs> good on them. But, um, you know, it's always interesting because I think there is there's a certain amount of, especially with uh, blossoming restaurateurs, there's a certain amount of um, dreamer that gets in the way of making rational decisions. Right. Um, you know, you've had to sell ideas up in, in your role. And then you've also been the decision maker. Um, how have you battled that, that tug, that, that tug of war with my dreams versus the realities? And how do you, how have you made those decisions? And I, that's, that's a really deep question that I kind of <laughs> curveballed you with, but uh, any insights on that? I mean, I think you have to ask yourself, you know, what is it that's important to you? And, and then what is it that's important to the growth or the mission for everyone? And I think if you can provide clarity into each one of those avenues, you usually find a good way to uh, communicate, you know, what it is that you want to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like what's held leaders back uh, from getting insights previously is the availability of data and then understanding for your particular restaurant group your particular hotel group uh your your marketing agency uh what of that data is important to us and and how should we favor or weigh in which piece of data is more important i don't think anyone's ever tackled that and and Mm. ultimately the pain of not understanding how to utilize what's out there uh, to, to make sure that we can succeed and make sure that we can succeed together. I mean, the pain of 65 plus uh, percent of restaurants closing every year is is terrible. And, and we see it now and it's sad and it affects the community. And so is there a way to help people succeed um, in greater percentage by using the data that's available? Right? But not, yeah, not yeah, and I think let's be real too. Um, a lot, a lot of folks don't quite realize this. I mean, probably the folks listening to do, but you know, we're not just talking about 
mom and pop that wants to open a, a pizza shop or, you know, a celebrity chef that's looking to throw another steak in the ground and add another notch to, to his or her belt. Um, th- those are all great too. And, and I think Born can help them as well as what Vigor does. But a lot of people don't realize that those chain restaurants, those big chains, McDonald's, and even the smaller up and coming ones, um, you know, like a sweet green or even smaller than that for, for that matter, you know, even though, they may be franchised, they actually still have economic impact on the local community. And so this is something that graded against me during the pandemic, which was people were like, rah, rah, support local, support local, don't go to McDonald's. And I, you know, I saw this on next door, for instance, I was like, hey, 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 that McDonald's, that's owned by the guy down the street. It is local. Just because it's a big brand doesn't mean it's not locally run. And that person buys from local providers, that they give jobs. And I think when you really take a step back and look at the impact that a restaurant, let alone multiple restaurants, have on the local economy, it starts to ring very loudly. Like, holy shit. Like, these, these are the cogs. These are, like, the keystones to a strong economy and it fuels retail and everything. Yeah. Could degree. Could degree more. Yeah. So, um, now on your journey, uh, as a, as a restaurant leader from owning a business and everything, was that all in the Bay area? Was that all in San Francisco or, or did you move around a little bit? Yeah. Mo- most of my work has been in the Bay area. Uh, but we do now currently work with people all, all across sure. the country. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so the reason why I asked why that, I is, that is it might be, um, it might be a little convoluted, but I think one thing that we're seeing is as restaurant um, acquisition methods and behavior shift, meaning less people are walking in, more people are ordering ahead. Um, I'm starting to see on on the horizon that exodus from the urban centers to the suburbs. And, and we saw that in the late 70s and throughout the 80s. Um, rising crime helps with that, which I know you can commiserate with because, uh, you know, San Francisco is not um, immune to that. Most major cities are seeing it. Uh, so so how effective or, or how much of that do you think is, is going to happen? And um, naturally, what, what should people, what should brands be looking for in the suburbs? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a hard it's a hard data point to predict. I mean, you can see who's moving and at what velocity and where to, but I I do think the urban centers are going to continue to flourish. And I I think a lot of diners just want to be out and and they want to experience life and they want to be talking and um, in the scene again. So I, I, I don't, you know, I don't foresee uh, too much of a transition, but I do think with the virtual world now, people want more space, uh, just mm. for for claustrophobic reasons and and being you know in a cage, uh, so to say. So, I you know I think it's from a from a food and beverage standpoint, I think it's going to be healthy to uh, spread yourself and diversify and have the ability to create when it's needed um, at your fingertips. And I think that's one of the cool things about ghost kitchens and virtual kitchens is there is a lot of open real estate and the landlord doesn't want to lose a year's you know supply of rent. Um, and a restaurateur can take an opportunity on a good deal 
of showing their food in a different location, uh, maybe outside of their core area. So there are a lot of opportunities that are going to be taken advantage of, and we're seeing that you know throughout the country. And we're we're also seeing, I think, you know, food will continue to nourish the soul, and people treat it as such. They don't mm-hmm. just treat it as an activity. They actually people need to eat to survive. And so when you can look at it from different lenses, you can see how you know being able to diversify will be a really good thing as you grow. Yeah, that's you know, that's actually really interesting. When I was doing the production notes for for this um, episode, I didn't even consider how born, you know, or a system like born could be used to identify the right virtual kit or brand, the right right uh, virtual restaurant brand um, for a location. You know, and and that's like a whole nother layer that I think is relatively untalked about and untapped. Instead, what we see is we see. Brands, if they're creating their own, they uh, usually go with the the wings. <laughs> it's like, oh, hey, we have a fryer. We can do wings and fries. <laughs> Congratulations. Now we have 300 million wings and fry concepts. And while there's demand for it, I don't think there's that much. I think we'll see some of those fall away. There's, of course, the chicken sandwich brands that have popped up. And now we're starting to see more ethnic brands. Like I think here in Atlanta, there's a, a, a virtual kitchen or virtual brand called um, Ministry of Curry. And uh, we had a whole episode on the crazy naming of um, these virtual brands with uh, my friend Eli Altman, who is in your backyard. He's uh, in Oakland, I believe. Um, anyway, that, that's that's interesting because if, you know the um, the Born Report, that core system. Essentially, you could say, "Hey, I have a restaurant here. What else would work?" And that would yeah. output some concept ideas. That's right, for sure. That's right. And it's a very it's a very powerful tool when you look at it that way. And really, ultimately, when you look at like startup versus growth companies, you got to identify that you know startups have no history, they have no consumer identity. So what you're looking for are patterns in the way the uh, consumer in that particular market behave. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so when you when you talk about concepts, and you had mentioned this earlier, you know, do you look at affinity brands? Do you look at uh, maybe where a competitors located and making those decisions. You know, all of that gets factored in, and, and all that thought process gets put into an effort that you got to put out. And, and really, like our goal uh, when we created Born was to make it so you didn't have to do that work. And we also wanted to create a part a product that was for the people. So as it's a SaaS product, we can add in things that people value at a high level. So if there are certain data points that you want to see or or that somebody wants to see, we can show that to them and or we can aggregate that for them uh, in order for them to see that. And then, you know, the the growth brands, they have deployed patterns. So then it becomes a question of, well, how do you want to, how do you want to leverage those patterns and, and what within those patterns is important to you that you maybe your stores that have a higher check average, maybe your stores that have, have a higher amount of foot traffic, maybe your stores that have more transactional data or drive-through data, you know, what is it that's important within those? So it's a very interesting question, Joseph, for sure. Yeah. So that's actually great. Um, thinking about that full system. So let, let's talk about some of the categories of data that, that Born can display on the full the full report. Let's talk about that full system uh, navigator, I think you called it. Um, and, and how do you begin, how did you begin to identify what categories need to be showed 
to potential users of the system? And then how did you find the data sources w- without, you know, tipping your, your, your hand or anything? <laughs> just high yeah, level, for, right? sure. <laughs> for sure. I mean, so, you know, I'll, I'll just kind of give you a few of the channels. I mean, POI data, POS data, mobility data, uh, spend data, understanding um, urban planning. So when you look at uh, land use data, zoning data, etc. I mean, all of that's leveraged and built in so that you can see a study area and or market at a high visibility. Um, and then, you know, you get, you get into a lot of the fundamentals, uh, such as gap analysis, um, uh, and then, you know, SEO, how do people actually search for what they want in any given area? Uh, you, you can look at, you know, concept fitness. So how do concepts compare against each other on a value proposition in any market? Uh, but, but it's, it's an, in, it's a very rich system mm-hmm. and we've had the luxury to work with some phenomenal data, data scientists, machine learning experts, um, and high level engineers that have built you know, something pretty unique and, and what we get feedback on all the time is how this is solving a lot of pain going into the uh, R&D department specifically. Yeah. So you mentioned machine learning. Now, I, I've, like I said, I'm privy to some of the other systems. We've either spoken directly with them or uh, our clients have used them. So we've seen reports. We've had uh, secondhand interaction. Um, I was always a little skeptical with AI, artificial intelligence, for instance. Um, some claim that. And my, my head scratcher was always like, well, we want we don't want artificial intelligence. We want real intelligence. Yeah. <laughs> um, so without getting too... Uh, too meticulous and too granular. The difference between AI and machine learning. What what is that yeah. in layman's hey, terms? Hey, by the way, by the way, I saw uh, <laughs> I saw the movie iRobot for the first by yeah. you know, Will Smith for the first man. That was good. They, he, they, yeah. they knew what was going on a long time ago. Um, they so, predicted it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Machine. So AI um, wants to predict, and machine learning wants to look at patterns and take data that exists and interpret it for future benefit. Mm. So our our goal is to really look at that machine learning uh, process because we want to be a benefit. We want to take what exists and give it to restaurateurs, uh, anyone in the food and beverage business, and allow them to see how data can help guide their human intuition. We don't want to predict uh, at a strong level or an AI level, what they and tell them what they should do. That's that's you know I think food and beverage is still passion driven and it's mm-hmm. a creative industry and uh, those of us that are in it um, have given a life to serving others and so you can't take that out of the equation, uh, but you got to be able to help people see what has the opportunity to succeed uh, given the data that's now you know really attainable. Right. Yeah. I always get a little leery when it comes to predictive things. Like it's one thing to be looking at patterns and saying, Hey, this, this is something that has a high probability of manifesting, whether it's in, in the system that we're talking about, or even, you know, a few years back, I gave a talk on the future of restaurant, you know, restaurants and, and all that. And it was, I enjoyed the talk, but a lot of it was looking at patterns and saying, this is what I'm seeing. Um, but never would I have predicted the impetus or, or the catalyst for that change. So for instance, you know, I'd said, 
as we march forward at an ever-growing acceleration, we're going to see adoption of, you know, humanless experiences. But what I didn't say is there's going to be a pandemic. Like, you know, because right. who would have who would have thought? Right. Um, I also get a little bit leery, too, because it's like, would AI be able to predict something as pivotal as, let's say, the, the chicken sandwich wars? Would that ever have been in on anyone's radar? Um, now, obviously, it started because of some sort of insight or something that somebody saw, like a pattern or an open space. Um, but I think AI can be dangerous because it can make you lazy, whereas it seems like machine learning is more like, this is the stuff that we're seeing, and we could definitely jump to some presumptions over that, and, and here's what we think, but here's the information so you can do it too. Is that is that kind of a good summary? Yeah, absolutely. And now, given that you know, there's aggregate POS data, you know, that we've built a system on, and then you can combine it with what are people looking for and what do people see as a value product or a craveable product. You can combine all of them to have that at your fingertip, essentially, and, and know what people are thinking. Um, and, and then, you know, the other PowerPoint here is you can do so historically. You can go back in time and look at the trends that have happened and then look at, you know, the demographic changes and the mobility changes, the SEO changes. You can look in, into and see patterns over time of how things happen, you know, whether it's the vegan movement, movement or Filipino food or whatever it is. Uh, it's definitely right here at our fingertips. It's just a matter of us putting our brains together and saying, OK, how from a data science approach do we want to tackle this? Interesting. Yeah. And I think what's even more interesting is, is how granular things are getting with regard to um, actual PMIX, you know, because of the pandemic, because of supply chain, we were seeing shrinking menus, more focus. And then you add on top of that virtual kitchen movement and, and it's, it's, it's a wild west almost all over again. Uh, for yeah. restaurant brands. seems like Born is a, a good solution to help uh, tame that beast. Um, let's let's change gears for a final question here, and this might be the most important question of the entire episode. <laughs> if you had one final meal and drinks before you left this plane of existence, what would you have and why? Ooh, ooh, and it could be homemade. It can be from a restaurant. Like, the sky's the limit here. Yeah, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Um, yeah. So my comfort food is the gray area of Middle Eastern and Mediterranean. Okay, explain. I, I'm I, so I'm Lebanese, uh, and my grandparents came from Beirut um, in the late 1800s, uh, hmm. and so I got to spend a decade, my first decade of life, with them, and I got to see you know the real Lebanese um, food, the yeah. Mediterranean Middle Eastern food. Um, as a kid. And so that's always been my comfort food. I love the flavors of it all. But I will say that if I had one last meal, I have to go with a Latin American barbecue. And mm. I'll tell you why. My bet, one of my best childhood friends is Chilean. And so we grew up having pebre, pebre, which is uh, South American, essentially salsa, heavy on the vinegar, heavy on the garlic, Tons of cilantro, tons more than, you know, a regular pico de gallo, but uh, yeah. just a phenomenal, super acidic salsa. 
And all, and it's basically three things that they do with the pepe. Uh, tons of meat, chorizo, sausages, steaks, chickens, grill, and a fresh loaf of baked, baked, freshly baked loaf bread. So artisan, mm. country, but warm, rip off a piece of the bread, take some meat right off the grill, just slice it, little pebre right on top, that's it, done. Uh, just such a it. great little bite, you know, on that side. And, you know, great, great memories with that as well. That's awesome. I don't know if I've ever had the honor and pleasure of actually having that. And now it's definitely on my bucket list of things to try. Um, my mouth is watering actually thinking about it. <laughs> so I will say this, and this might be one of the most controversial things I've ever said on Fork Tales. The Lebanese hummus is the best hummus in the world, and you can fight me on it. Like, I agree hands 100%. down. I agree those, those who know, know. And I would, yeah. I would venture to say that if even if people like Greek hummus, which is atrocious in my opinion they they should just stop making hummus in greece sorry greece i love everything else you do hummus ain't it um but it's the lebanese hummus specifically and i think it's because of some of the things they add to the hummus and it's how fine they grind it yeah it is like butter it is amazing and um if you guys think i'm crazy i i take the hummus challenge man Go get some Greek hummus, some Israeli hummus, you know, get some Arabian hummus, and then make sure you get Lebanese hummus, and, and you will understand what I'm talking about. My hummus rant my is grandma, over. My grandma will kiss you right now. <laughs> Bring it on, Grams. Yeah. Um, <laughs> awesome. Well, hey, Greg, this has been really insightful. It's awesome. The Born system, uh, it just seems wild, and, and um, I do hope people see the value in it, and I can't wait to see what you guys do with it. Um, what's next for Born, and then where can they find you? Yeah, so uh, we will be at a handful of conferences this year uh, throughout the United States. So if you see us uh, with the table or I may be speaking at a few of them, come and say hi. Lo- love to break bread um, and just talk. Um, we are focused on being the most powerful restaurant location intelligence company in the United States. And we, at our core, won't, won't rest on our laurels. Um, I think we're very versatile in what we're doing and we're going to continue to adapt and adjust and we're going to continue to give companies uh people in food and beverage uh, a head start and a leg up and the ability to succeed and and our goal you know as a whole is to be a benefit to others and so we'll continue to be responsible with how we do it um face those challenges as they come and you know we'll, we're around but if you if you want to check us out bornreport.com um otherwise i'm on linkedin if anyone wants to connect but love to talk more and uh, joseph really appreciate you having us on absolutely man thanks for making the time and we'll have all those links in the show notes as well so you can find gregory and the born team and um yeah and i'll probably be at some of those shows too so we'll connect and hopefully we'll see some of you listeners out there as well thanks so much If you love what we've served up, please follow us at Vigor Branding on Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Medium. Fork Tales is produced by the team at Vigor. Audio and video post-productions provided by Zencaster. Music performed by Jet Trash and licensed through musicbed.com. Joseph handles his own hair, makeup, and stunts. Copyright 2003 to 2021, Vigor Graphic Design, LLC, all rights reserved.